0: Every year as we prepare for spring, we attentively listen to every long-term weather forecast, hanging on every word in hopes that we hear the outlook calling for that probability of moisture. In agriculture, our livelihood begins with a drop of rain. And when it doesn't come, decisions must be made. And as ranchers, it's about stocking rates.
1: Pastures that are stressed in the prior year, their production potential is gonna be slightly lower than pastures that were unstressed.
0: So how can we be proactive in our management rather than reactive. Keith Harmony with Kansas State University joins me today as he discusses the factors we should assess both in coming out of a drought or potentially headed into one.
1: Stocking rate has a direct effect on that water
0: capture. Plus a decision tree tool that can be used in providing preemptive management as you make plans when turning out to grass. On this episode of The Working Ranch Radio Show. Welcome, this is The Working Ranch Radio Show, and I'm Justin Mills. We're glad to have you joining us on our program today. You know what's just baffling to me that we're already in the month of june and just seems like we got the month of may started just seems like last week we were starting calving as uh, if you listen for some time you know that uh, we don't calve here on the x-ring ranch until may and june for the main cows now we did have about 100 head of heifers to calve out this year and uh, they started literally on easter day back in april and so things have went pretty well of course when you get into this time of the year in calving we're not really fighting the weather conditions that other folks fight uh in the earlier time of the year of cabin but nevertheless uh, we actually have been getting across your fingers knock on wood i guess so so to speak some moisture here i wasn't quite sure when we were through the month of may april was pretty light for us in terms of moisture was kind of concerned about what we were going to look for in terms of a grass uh, situation for this year much like we're going to talk about in our show here today uh, but we started to get some moisture here in the month of may and june starting off on a good note too so with that in mind our subject today is on stocking rates and man oh man if that uh, when it comes to precipitation and wondering whether that's going to come or not that really does play a big factor in us making our plans in terms of what we can take on for cattle uh, or or what we need to do if we have to cull down to cat to uh, certain numbers due to a drought situation which i know for folks down in that southern plains country last year they were in a pretty tough drought and there's still places as we're going to here today keith harmony who's a range scientist for k-state there out of the ag research center in hayes kansas will be joining us to talk about uh turning out to grass and how you come up with your stocking rates and some uh, processes some things that you can work through in that in terms of assessing your pasture ground uh, from last year into this year and also a decision tree process that you can go through and we're also going to be looking at some of that uh, comes down to looking at the previous 30 years of moisture data and using that information to give you some idea or probability of whether or not you're going to get the moisture you need so some really good information we're going to go through a lot of stuff and this will be a show more than likely that you might want to go back and listen to again so again my guest today Keith Harmony out of K-State will be joining us right now a quick thank you to our sponsors of the Working Ranch Radio Show All Flex Cattle Identification and Record Keeping should be easy so now you can tie their your visual tag your EID tag and now your genetic data to one management number with the All Flexed match sets you can find out more at AllFlexUSA.com Inherent Select from Zoetis, is providing commercial cow-calf producers with genetic insights to make replacement female selection and breeding decisions. You can find out more at InherentProgress.com. The American Gelvie Association, highly fertile, moderately framed cow that raises high-performing calves even in tough environments. Now that's doing more with less. The Gelvie cow's efficient use of resources make her the picture of sustainability in today's modern beef industry. Find out more at gelvie.org. And MLS tubs. Don't gamble with fly control this summer. MLS tubs are a sure bet. All kinds of tubs for all kinds of needs. Find out more at mlstubs.com. And finally, Tank Toad, your remote water monitoring system from the convenience of your phone. Powered by solar with satellite and cell reception. Keep an eye on your water supply with the daily text. Call MetalArk Solutions today for tank monitors, well controllers, generators, and more at 801 252 6135 or find out more at tanktoad.com well it's time now to check in with the captain tim O'Byrne. he is publisher and editor of working ranch magazine for this week's edition of tim's two cents
2: hey justin hey everybody out there in working ranch radio land 150 years ago may seventeenth, 1873 george grant a scottish wool merchant brought the very first aberdeen angus cattle to the united states and he ended up in a place called victoria kansas bought some land there threw the cattle out who could have known it would have grown into what it is today absolutely phenomenal and i thought i'll do a story for the uh, uh, magazine for the summer issue which is coming out here in your mailboxes here pretty quick so keep an eye on that and I didn't really have any good photographs to go with it. I knew they had a monument downtown Victoria to George Grant and his accomplishments. So I thought, you know, um, being the industrious uh, journalist that I am, I thought if I can't if I can't find the photos, maybe I can call the town uh, hall and see if somebody can head down there and get me a couple of nice photos, you know, in the sunshine. And I I ended up talking to Jamie Sterling and she uh, made sure, she said, I will get you those photos. So uh, Jamie went to work and we got the photos. You're going to see them in the magazine and look closely at the photo credit of these wonderful photos that the town got for us. Mayor John Schulte himself went down and took these pictures for our lovely magazine and i just had to thank them so much you know god bless you folks in victoria kansas you are the epitome of what the beef production community is all about we help each other we savvy what's important and you knew that this was going to be important to our readers and you went down and took the time you're very very busy took the time to go down there and take those pictures for us thank you so much from the bottom of our hearts back to you justin
0: all right thanks captain and you bet we'll be looking for that article in the upcoming issue of working ranch magazine the 150 years of angus in uh, as it started back in victoria kansas in 1873 when george grant crossed those four angus bulls out of scotland with some texas longhorn cows and that was native there to the plains and of course the rest is history and and uh, whether you breed angus cattle or not or ever have you got to understand boy it, that has been a very impactful breed to the ranching industry. Well, stay with us, when we come back, we're gonna get into our feature topic as we talk about those decisions and that process you need to go through when you're determining stocking rates coming out or potentially heading into a drought situation. We'll be back on the Working Ranch Radio Show after this.
1: Don't gamble with fly control this summer. MLS tubs are a sure bet. MLS high-performance, low-moisture cooked molasses tubs provide controlled, consistent supplement delivery to your cattle, horses, sheep, and goats. MLS takes pride in their line of products that are proven to lower your feed supplement costs. All kinds of tubs for all kinds of needs. Learn more about MLS tubs at
2: mlstubs.com.
0: And we welcome you here to the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm Justin Mills. As we head now into our featured interview here today, a topic that uh, while we are in the middle of the spring year and a lot of folks have uh, probably turned out to grass and getting there, uh, it's also a time when you're probably thinking a little bit more about it. We've had some interesting years the last few years in different parts of the country. A majority of the country at different times in the last two to three years have went through some drought situations. And whenever you're going through droughts, situations in the spring of the year you're wondering man can we turn out when do we turn out how what's our stocking rates going to be and just a lot of questions revolving that and here today to talk a little bit more about that is Keith Harmony who's a range scientist for Kansas State University. Keith thanks for joining us here today on the Working Ranch Radio Show.
1: Well, howdy there, and thanks for having me on.
0: Well, Keith, I specifically reached out to you on this subject due to the fact that you had done a webinar for your producers back in April on just the decision-making process in determining what your stocking rates would be on grass turnout. And folks, I encourage you to stay with us because one of the things we're going to be getting to that Keith is gonna be sharing with us is a decision tree guideline uh, that can walk you through that process. In addition to uh, looking at annual precipitation Uh, especially during these spring months and how critical that is. But Keith, before we get into all of that, let's just lay some groundwork for this subject on grass turnout and trying to determine just what our stocking rates should be.
1: Well, this started from me and other folks being asked about what we should do for this, this spring of 2023 and going on to grass because our 2022 here in Kansas was such a dry year for so many folks in in different regions of the state, all throughout the southern part of Kansas and, and most all of the western part of Kansas were all in exceptional drought and they were that way through most of the growing season last year and ended up the season under exceptional drought and things didn't change over the winter. We didn't have much precipitation uh, through the winter and coming into the spring, the current drought monitor, you could see that looking at that map that Kansas is basically the epicenter uh, still currently of where the exceptional drought is located on the continental US. And so that's basically where this webinar came from. And this topic was just, looking at our dry conditions from last year and how is that going to affect our conditions coming into this spring and, you know, what, what should, producers do about it we were getting asked a lot of those questions Mm -hmm.
0: so first of all one of the things that you pointed out specifically was that we do need to get and basically analyze what happened the previous year the previous season if we were in a drought situation assessing that and what to look for when we are doing that before we start this process of then looking ahead and analyzing that so expand on that just a little bit more
1: yeah, well, yeah, we definitely need to look back at the prior year because the prior year does have some effect on what's going to happen in the next year as far as the potential of the of the grass to to reach its full productivity. Um, we know that when plants are stressed in the prior year, that they're going to be starting off the next spring with less vigor and maybe not have as much production. And so, basically, we go through and look at each. Each pasture on a case-by-case case scenario, and and determine the prior year was that pasture stressed or was it unstressed? Because if if it's unstressed, those plants should have been able to photosynthesize and produce all the energy the energy they need to store up for the winter, for for them to come out the next spring and be vigorous. Uh, they should have had enough carbohydrate produced that they could have um, had full full root growth potential so that the next year those roots are there that they can they can go through and they can search the soil volume for for water and and get as much of that water that that they as they can get and they need for production so if plants aren't stressed the prior year they should really be in good shape to start growth the next year Um, However, if they were stressed the prior year, you know, if if the forage demand on those plants or that pasture was out of balance with what was available, um, if more forage, more leaf material was taken off of those pastures than what would be desired, then we know from from historical uh, studies that those plants are gonna have less vigor They're going to have less, uh, potentially less production that next spring. And so, looking at, at the condition of those pastures and that grass at the end of the prior season really sets the stage for what that grass is going to be like coming out of dormancy the next spring. And some of our pastures last year here in Kansas, they basically went into an early dormancy from the drought. You know, in the middle of the growing season, those plants basically turn brown and and didn't have any green tissue in them anymore. So they weren't photosynthesizing. They weren't producing sugars and carbohydrates for growth or even for storage for making it through the, the winter. And so basically what they had accumulated up until the point of dormancy is what they are going to have to be living on for an extended period of time. You know, our plants usually go dormant just due to the cold Cold conditions that occur in the fall, but a lot of our pastures here in Kansas, they they had an early dormancy. They they turned dormant in the middle of the growing season, and that's mm-hmm. stressful because it's the end of the year when those those plants are really putting a lot of their production into storage tissues and and into some rip tissues for making it through the winter and coming out the next spring. So looking at prior year. Mm-hmm. Air condition is important to see how much vigor and what the production potential might be for the, the next season.
0: Mm-hmm. Keith, a moment ago, you talked a little bit about root development. Uh, that's another real key aspect. I know a lot of folks uh, really in the ranching industry are becoming more and more astute to our soil management and our root development, knowing that that is critical to uh, to the, the amount of forage that we can grow is going to really be dependent on the ability of that root and its growth that's going on below the soil so touch on that a little bit because that was something you mentioned as well
1: yeah um well if forage demand is balanced with the forage available and removing um removing a portion of that forage growth up to 50 percent of that forage growth removed um, there's really no no hindrance or no no stoppage of root growth when that is balanced with the demand from grazing animals and what's available out on on the pasture. When those are balanced, root growth isn't stopped. Um, but if you go past past or beyond that 50% point, you can slow down or even stop root growth. And so that's that's what we're basically looking for is trying to keep that balance where we can remove some some top growth, remove some of that forage for animal use, but yet keep those roots growing and and not slowing down root growth or not even not stopping our growth. So that's, that's the balance that we're kind of looking for there.
0: Mm -hmm. Keith, I want to go just a step further in that. When when we talk about that and you showed a picture on the webinar of what we would see 50%, if we target 50% of forage remaining, we would not see roots stop growing. If we take 70%, uh, we see 50% of the roots not growing for 17 days. If we take 90%, no growth for 17 days. And I guess I want some clarification just a bit in that doesn't necessarily mean that's a bad thing. Uh definitely want to be protective and think ahead with with that and not be consistent in taking that much down, but some years such as drought years, we may take more than 50%. So I guess the next uh concept or next subject to talk about a little bit there is then how important is the rest and recovery before we go back onto that pasture.
1: Yeah, well, if you if you allow that grass that rest time and recovery time the root production should should come back and you should get root growth again and those plants should recover just fine um, It is the the amount of rest period or time of rest that allows those plants to recover you know so if you do go past the that 50 percent level, you know those plants do need that time to recover. But like you said, if for example, if you go into that area um, and graze it again, not until the next year, those plants should have had time to recover and and to get the leaf material on there to produce the sugars and carbohydrates to to allow those roots to grow and become productive again. So that recovery time is important and basically how far or how much forage growth or is removed, how much of that top area is removed that determines what that rest period is going to be for those plants to get back to their typical function again. So the more you remove, the longer that period is going to be that it's going to take for, for those plants to recover.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and and we'll get into this in just a little bit in terms of uh, of moisture in precipitation, because I think that that'll also gives us some indications of when you can come back into certain things. Before we get to that really quick, you touched on stocking rates affecting water infiltration. And I think that's something we maybe don't think about too much in terms of how much of the moisture that we do get is actually getting down into the soil.
1: Yeah. The stocking rate has a direct effect on, on how much water we get back into the soil because it affects the amount of residue that's standing in the pasture and the amount of litter cover on the soil surface. And that residue cover and that litter on the soil surface, that stops the impact of the rainfall on the soil surface. And it also keeps that rainfall from running off the soil surface. And so having both of those things there to be able to stop that water from running off the landscape is gonna help infiltration it's gonna stop that water from flowing and it's gonna allow it to go and get into the soil. And with uh, heavier stocking rates, we have less residue to capture that water and stop it from flowing. And so infiltration is gonna go down. Now, if we have lighter stocking rates, that residue there, it's gonna stop that water. It's gonna keep it from traveling across the soil surface and it's gonna allow it to go into the soil rather than run off the soil. Mm-hmm. So, stocking rate has a direct effect on that water capture. Mm-hmm.
0: You bet. Keith Harmony, range scientist with Kansas State, is my guest here today. We have more to talk with him. And really, uh the the meat of what I'm wanting to get into, we'll get into here in the next couple of segments. I'm just kind of using this first segment to set some groundwork about just some things in general as we look at grazing and, and turning out on grass here. We're going to get into the, some of the meat of this. He's got a decision tree, also, some some interesting concepts in terms of looking at our precipitation rates uh, for our spring months and putting that into our our database and, and figuring those probability numbers out as far as our precipitation possibilities we're going to talk more about these things when we return here on the working ranch radio show A sustainable ranch is one that can do more with less, and for beef producers it can start right at the herd level with a cow that's efficient with her resources and environment. And in today's modern industry, Gelvy females are the picture of sustainability. Gelvy and Balancer cattle are early maturing with maternal superiority through increased longevity, added fertility, and more pounds of calf wean per cow exposed. Adaptable versatile and sustainable. All factors that have a positive impact on your bottom line. Gelvy influenced females, the smart, reliable and profitable maternal choice for achieving sustainability in today's modern beef industry. Be sustainable. Breed Gelby. And welcome back to the working ranch radio show. I'm Justin Mills. My guest today is Keith Harmony. He's a range scientist for Kansas state and uh, he's there at the Ag Research Center in Haynes, Kansas. We're talking just in general grass turnout. Now I realize that for a lot of folks, we're already there. Uh, y- you've already had a couple months through, through here in terms of precipitation and kind of know where the summer's gonna be at for some folks. Maybe for some of the moisture's been a little bit too late, but nevertheless, we are where we're at and we can kind of look at some of this today that we're talking a bit in the rear view mirror with the idea of how can it help us in the future. And then the first segment, uh, as we were talking with with Keith on this, uh, a lot of different things, just kind of setting some groundwork up here in terms of assessing last year's season uh, so that we can, that's part of the process and looking at what we can do this year uh, and also understanding root growth and root development before the break, we were talking stocking rates and how a uh, lower stocking rates can affect water infiltration. Lower stocking rates can help that essentially. And at the break, you and I were talking because I said, I know I'm going to have some questions on that. Uh, and, and let's just clarify a bit, because when we're saying stocking rates, that's not the same as stocking density. And, you know, some of you might be aware of that, but I think at first blush, that was where I was at. I was thinking stocking density. And as we were talking at the break, he clarified that just a, bit for me as well. So let's, let's just dive a bit into that because I know we do have folks that are running in more of a high intensity grazing type systems, which does put more cattle on there, but stocking density and stocking rates are not the same thing. So let's explain that just real briefly so that we make sure we don't confuse anybody.
1: Yeah. Well, there, there's a distinction between stocking rate and stocking density and, and the folks that are doing some of those high intensity, um, high, high density, stalking strategies the density is what they're after there but stalking rate is the density of animals over a period of time and so there's a time factor involved there so those folks that are practicing you know some of those intense stalking strategies they may have a high stocking density on an area but that time that they have those on there is is going to be for a fraction of the whole season. And so you add that time factor in there and that's what gives you the overall stocking rate for a pasture for the whole growing season. Mm-hmm. Um, so there, there's a distinction there between density and rate.
0: Mm-hmm. Keith, in the first segment, you were talking that one of the first things we do is assess our pastures and the resources that were taken off of last year, the amount of stress that it it would have been involved in those pastures. I want to go back to that briefly, mainly because how important is it that regardless of the year? That we have some baseline data of what each of our pastures that we've gone through each pasture, not a place as a total, but through each pasture, and have some baseline data based upon average precipitation of what the production would be on that pasture.
1: Well, it, it's good to have an idea of what your your pastures are going to be able to produce that way. That way, you're not way off one way or the other to start with, and you you can find some estimates of how much your pasture might be able to produce from different tools that you can find um, on the web. Um, There's the U.S. soil survey, the web soil survey that is available through the USDA. There's also the rangeland analysis platform that's available on the web. And both of those tools online can actually give you an idea of what your pasture might be able to produce or what its average production potential might be in order for you to, to start out with a stocking rate or to get an estimate of production to calculate a stocking rate for a pasture. And so it, it's good to have that baseline established or to have an idea of of what your land might be capable of on a, on a typical or average year. Just so you can keep track then from, uh, from that point forward of of rainfall and production that occurs from that point afterwards so there are places that you can get that baseline if you're if you haven't been out and clipped pastures or done some sort of data collection on pastures to get an idea of what their production potential or average is mm
3: mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. You talked about when we start looking at this, how important the moisture is that we get in three months of the spring. If we were to take into account April, May, and June, not to say that earlier in the winter moisture or March isn't important as well, but really some critical moisture months are those springtime months. Let's expand on that just a little bit more because we're going to talk how that correlates into some other decision-making later on as well.
1: Yeah, I've looked at at basically a half decade of weather data and combined it with our pasture production data here at our research center in Hayes, And it has basically showed me that April, May, and June are the months that have the greatest effect on the amount of production that we have at the end of the season. And actually, just not too long ago, um, several research locations throughout the, the central and northern Great Plains, we all put our data together as far as pasture production and our weather data together. And for most of the north central Great Plains and central Great Plains, we determined that basically April, May and June were the months that that did have the greatest effect on growth at the end of the year. And so those three months are very important. It's not to say that winter precipitation isn't important. Looking at our data here at Hayes, the years where we have above average winter precipitation, we have about a 15% increase in our year-end dry matter production in our pastures compared to our below average years so we do have a increase in production based on that winter precipitation that winter precip is basically what gets our growth started for the year but it's that april may and june precipitation that really determines what our production potential is going to be for for the end of the season um, those are the months where the grass has their highest growth rate that's Those are the months that they need that water. And so those months of precipitation are the ones that are gonna have the biggest effect on how much forage is produced by the end of the year.
0: Mm -hmm. And I know Keith is as I said that question to you, and and you answered. A lot of guys are saying, "Well, well, duh, we've known that for years." And the only reason I I asked that, and you pointed that out, was mainly because it's going to set up some of this other stuff that we're going to talk about here when we start looking at the decision tree in this. Because I realize for a lot of us, yeah, we've known how important and how critical that springtime moisture is, but it sets into really the next step in what you're coming to with this and looking at how can we put this into some element of a number so that we can evaluate that and then begin to make decisions and so let's let's work through a bit of the decision tree and folks I'll put some links on our our podcast site here that you can go and look at this Uh, we've got not only the decision tree but also some examples in terms of some things we're going to talk about here in a little bit but let's go through that decision tree just a bit here now Keith
1: so basically the decision tree starts out with doing an on-site pasture assessment like what we had talked about in a earlier and that's evaluating whether or not that pasture was stressed or unstressed in the prior year. And with our drought conditions of 2022, most of our pastures here in Kansas, I would say finished out last year in a stressed condition. And so that basically is the first branch in this decision tree on deciding whether or not your pastures were stressed or unstressed in the prior year. And if they were stressed, then that leads us down one portion of the tree. And the next assessment would be whether or not we have current dry soil conditions or if we have wet soil conditions. And that that goes along with what I had just talked about and our winter precipitation, that if we have current dry soil conditions, heading into the spring with a pasture that's been stressed in the prior year, then we could expect that there could be a 15 to 25 percent reduction in production on that pasture the next season. And Mm -hmm. I say that because we know that pastures that are stressed in the prior year their production potential is going to be slightly lower than pastures that were unstressed. They're going to start the year, the next growing season off slower and and have a little bit less production potential. You add that with the lack of winter precipitation and the data that I just talked about having a 15% less production for pastures that lack winter precipitation compared to those that have good winter precip. You add those two together and you're you're in that uh, 15 to 25% reduction range. And so knowing the condition of those pastures at the end of the prior season and what the current status is of your soil moisture can really help you determine what your production potential might be for the season. Now, if you have wet soil conditions to start off the year, you know those plants are gonna have that moisture there. It's gonna be available so that when those growing conditions start, those temperatures start to warm the soil up and those plants are breaking dormancy and they're ready to grow, that soil moisture is there for them to take off and start growing. And so really the only reduction that we would have with wet soil conditions to start the growing season would be the stress from the prior year. And so that might be a 10 to 15% reduction depending on how stressed those plants were the previous season. Mm So, that's the first couple breakouts of that decision tree. And following that, basically, the next divisions in that decision tree come from how much precipitation we receive once the growing season starts. And knowing that our April, May, and June precip is so important to growth, we know that if we have good precipitation during those months, that we're probably going to hit our average production potential or even get above average production during the season if we have that early spring rainfall. But if we lack that April, May and June precip based on our information that we have here at our research center and, and several locations throughout the, the Northern Great Plains, we know that we're probably not gonna hit our production potential and the stocking rates that we start the season with may be heavier than what those grasslands are gonna be able to support at the end of the season. So, Mm -hmm. we can do some manipulation of those stocking rates once we see what our April, May, and June precipitation is at the start of the year. We can make those adjustments so that we're more balanced to end the year. Mm
3: -hmm.
0: Yeah. You know, in a lot of this, Keith, what I feel is some of this as we're talking about this, I know folks are probably nodding their head and say, yeah, I I understand. I know. I know how important the spring moisture is. We understand that. And this may sound a little redundant, some of the stuff we're talking about. But what I think is interesting and we're going to talk about it, we're going to take a break here and we're going to talk about it in our next segment. And that is looking at some of the probability numbers and utilizing that weather data. It's something that I keep track of on a a monthly basis, weather pre or moisture precipitation that we have. I don't go back 30 years like what you uh, are using in, in some of your data, but I find it quite interesting because for a lot of us, we're trying to have some predictability before we get ourselves into a wreck. And I think some of those probability numbers that we're going to talk about coming up next will define a little bit of that. So stick with us, folks. My guest today is Keith Harmony. He is a range scientist, 4K State there at the Research Center in Hayes, Kansas. We're going to talk more about it when we return here on The Working Ranch Radio Show.
3: Every year you pick your replacement heifers. Some become profitable cows. Others disappoint. How can you make more reliable selections? Genetic testing. Commercial cow-calf producers like you are using Inherit Select from Zoetis. You gain valuable predictions, including cow fertility, size and soundness, feed efficiency, growth and carcass merit as well as easy to use economic indexes. This improves your selection, breeding, and marketing decisions. Request a call from InheritProgress.com and ask about free TSUs to
2: get you started.
0: And welcome back to the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm Justin Mills. My guest today is Keith Harmony, range scientist for Kansas State uh, there at the Research Center in Haynes, Kansas. I appreciate him joining us here today. We're, we're talking essentially just how to adjust your, your stocking rates, a lot of it based on moisture. And I, I hate to keep, kind of sound like a broken record, but I know some of the things that we're talking about for a lot of you, you're probably nodding your head. And you're saying, well, you're not necessarily telling me anything completely new. However, I think it's important that as we set this up and thinking through this we're just basically uh, maybe giving you some confidence and understanding that how important that spring moisture is not to say that annual moisture over a 12-month period isn't important as well however it is pretty critical that spring moisture and we all know that one of the things Keith that I thought was really interesting was looking at your 30 year data for each month and calculating the median, not the average, but the median in terms of working this those numbers out to give you some probability of just where you're at. Because I think for a lot of us, it's about how can we have some predictability? How can we set this up before we get ourselves into a pinch? So let's talk about calculating this median up and then utilizing that running average of rainfall in these three months and predicting or giving us some probability numbers that we can work off to know then on making stocking decisions.
1: All right, yeah, I'll I'll start out by talking about something you just mentioned and that and that was the annual precipitation. You know, annual precipitation does have a very high correlation with how much forage is produced at the end of the season. Now, when you look at annual water year precipitation, that has a high correlation with how much forage is produced at the end of the growing season. When we look at April, May and June precipitation, those are the most important months for determining how much forage we have at the end of the season, and they are a good early predictor. When we look at historical weather data, you mentioned the 30 years prior, and we look at the individual precipitation that we received each of those months in April, May, and June for the prior 30 years, and we calculate the median for each of those months, that median is a value in which half of the years were above that median and half of the years were below that median, and so that allows us then to get a probability of receiving that amount of precipitation during that month. So we do that for each of those three months and add them together and we get a total or a median value for April, May, and June combined. That then allows us to look early on, say for the month of April, we look at how much precipitation we received that month and compare it to the total that we would need for April, May, and June combined. And if we don't reach that median value, we know what our deficit is and how much we need to make up in May and June. And if we look at May and June combined, then we look at those total amounts of precipitation for the prior 30 years, Mm -hmm. we can get a probability of how many years out of those 30, we were able to receive that needed amount of precipitation in addition to the April that we received already in order to get our median for April, May, and June combined. So as we get to the next month, May, and we add April and May together then, we compare those with what we received in the current year to what our median is, and we're able to determine how much short we are for that growing season so far, And we're able to get a probability of what our chances of receiving that amount of rainfall in June to reach that April, May, and June combined median. It's just a way of being able to calculate and predict what the probabilities are of receiving the amount of rainfall that you're gonna need to hit that median to get your average production for the year.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think the, the predictability is and the basically the early predictability is, is key here in what we're doing and why we're doing this. Keith, as you were talking a little bit about that, one of the things that we're going to have to probably go back to geometry class just a little bit here, because that was something that caught my attention a little bit is you're calculating the median, not the average.
1: That's correct. It's it's the median. So that that means that half the years that we're looking at and looking at the 30 year history, half of those years or 15 of those years would be above the median and 15 of those years would be below the median as, as far as the precipitation is concerned. And so that allows us then to get a, a probability. And so I, I could go through a through a short example here. I, I had a, an example calculated up for, for a city out in Western Kansas. And looking at their April plus May plus June median, combined precipitation, it was almost 7.5 inches over the prior 30 years. So, in the prior 30 years, 15 of those years had above seven seven 7.5 inches of precipitation, and half the years had below 7.5 inches of precipitation. So, then, for example, in 2022, when we would say, look at April and May combined of how much precipitation they received, they'd received only uh, just under three fourths of an inch of precipitation in those two months combined. So that left them almost six and a half inches short of that seven and a half inch median. And so then looking at June precipitation over the prior 30 years, we were able to count and see how many of those years in June did we receive six and a half inches of precipitation. And it worked out that there was only four out of the prior 30 years did they receive the six and a half inches of precip that they needed to get to that seven and a half inch precip total for the median. That's only a 13% probability. So that's how we're able to use those those numbers, those prior years and those median values to get a probability level.
0: Mm-hmm. As we kind of wrap this up, Keith, one of the things that, that I had written down here, and I mentioned it before we went on air here, I said, you know, I wanted to visit a little bit about the concept of a drought plan. And I think in general, that's what we're talking about here today. But I really look at what you've provided here. You, we, we've have this decision tree. And again, this this is stuff that can be used any part of the country you're in. I realize as we were talking before, you know, he's out of, out of Hayes, Kansas, or and doing a lot of this stuff for folks there in Kansas. But nevertheless, the concept can be utilized anywhere in the country. And as we were talking about this, Keith, I said, well, I, I'm going to want to talk a little bit about a drought plan. But beyond that, I think it's more than that. It's, it's really a stocking plan for your ranch? Because if it's a dry year, yeah, there's, there's some things you need to be doing, uh, in terms of reducing your stocking rates, whether you're going to early wean, whether you're going to get rid of those coals and opens and get rid of the poor doers out there. Um, but at the same time, what about years where you've, where you're getting a lot of moisture and maybe you've only stocked to a certain number and how do you increase your stocking rates? What are some of the things you can do? So as we wrap this up, really, what this is providing us is some predictability so that we can, be efficient given the circumstances that we have to deal with?
1: Yeah, I would say you may be able to use it for those purposes. The main purpose for me, though, is for being able to, like you mentioned, use this in a drought plan for being you know, good stewards and for not damaging the resource and for trying to protect it and trying to maintain its productivity and sustainability long term using these tools As part of a drought plan i think is is going to be the main use um you know trying to capitalize on good years you know there's potential there i think it's harder to predict the top end productivity based on rainfall because once we get in excess of what our median or our averages are typically we may end up getting some precipitation to run off the surface and we may not capture it all just because it's in so much excess. I found in our years here at the Research Center that when we have excessive amounts of precip in years, the top end of our production level is harder to predict. And I think it's because we don't capture as much of that rainfall. We see more of it run off the landscape and we fill ponds and we get some to run into streams and things like that but not as much of it gets converted directly into forage growth. So I, I think this works or is suited well for drought mitigation tool. It may be able to use it some for good years and maybe increasing some stocking, but by and large, I think it's better as a drought management tool rather than, than anything else.
0: Yeah, I, that would make a lot of sense because I, I think you're right. Sometimes when we do get excessive moisture, it isn't the the utilization of it. Once the ground gets a bit saturated, isn't as maybe going into the soil as much as there is runoff. So Keith, I appreciate you joining us. We've covered a lot of stuff here. And I I know for, for folks um, there's, you're probably working through some of this in your mind. I will put links to the information that Keith was talking about here so that you can kind of see it for your own self and, and determine some of this, Uh, the decision tree that he talked about. Also the example of the 30 year rainfall uh, probability. I think that is is a real key takeaway in this. Uh, really, any of these things are applicable to anyone in the country. So Keith, I appreciate you joining us here today on the Working Ranch Radio Show.
1: All right. Well, thank you very much.
0: And again, my guest today, Keith Harmony, range scientist for K-State there at the Ag Research Center in Hayes, Kansas, joining us here today on our program. I appreciate him talking about uh, this subject on grass turnout and that decision-making process that we all go through in the spring of the year and giving us some tools to manage that so that we don't get ourselves in a position should we find ourselves coming out of a dry year or potentially heading into a dry year. And we talked a lot of stuff today. I know Really, this is gonna be a show that you probably wanna go back and listen to it again, just to hear through some of this, the dialogue that he had in describing some of the, the numbers and some of the calculations that took place, whether it's going through that decision tree or working through figuring out the probability when you're looking at moisture precipitation for those three key months in the spring of the year. I'm going to put a link in our podcast description that will get you to that webinar, as well as the resources that were available made available through that webinar by the way if you want to get to it yourself you can find that uh, youtube video at ksubeef.org is where you can go and you can find that for yourself but again i will put a link as well you can go back and listen to this show by going to workingranchradio.com we'll stay with us coming up next meteorologist don day is back from vacation he'll join us as we'll take a look at our long-term weather we'll be back on the working ranch radio show after this. And we welcome you back here to the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm Justin Mills as we take a look now at our long-term weather today, brought to you by AllFlex. And joining us back here again after being gone for a couple weeks is meteorologist Don Day. And Don, I'll tell you what, I cannot do a weather forecast, so therefore, while you were gone, I did not even try. And it's good to have you back.
3: Well, shocks! There there goes my retirement.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. yeah. I hope you weren't counting on me. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Anyways, let's talk about what we're looking ahead. We're now into the month of june as i started the show earlier uh here in the hour i was like man it's hard to believe we're already in the month of june but we are here and uh what are you looking at that is showing us kind of what this month is sort of shaping up to be i know for uh the area that you would consider consider maybe uh the mountain states and down in the western half of the united states they're continuing to get some moisture uh but we're kind of concerned about that center corn belt area of the country
3: Yeah, you know, and and for our our outlook in June, at least here for the beginning of the month, I think we just need to kind of look at what's been happening here over the last few weeks, where there's been a concentration of rain and thunderstorm activity kind of in a north-south belt that goes from west Texas through eastern New Mexico, the panhandles of Texas and Oklahoma, then through Colorado, western Kansas, western Nebraska, the western because. a large part of Wyoming and, and all of Montana. And that goes also up into Alberta and Saskatchewan. Now on either side of that north-south area where it's been really rainy, um, conditions have been dry. And that's how we went through the last couple of weeks of May. And I think that's how it's going to start in early June. You know, And speaking in some of those western areas, there are some incredible rainfall totals that really hasn't made the news. You know, Near McCook, Nebraska, in the month of May, 12 inches of rain. Hmm. Now, how does that compare? Well, McCook, Nebraska probably averages around 17, 16 inches of rain a year. Um, and a year ago, they only had three inches of rain or so for the entire first five months of 2022. So these are significant drought-busting rains mm-hmm. that have been happening in some of those Western Plains. But you don't go very far east. It's a different story. Yeah, Extremely dry May for eastern Nebraska, northeastern Kansas, Iowa, Illinois, uh, Indiana, part many areas of the Corn Belt, there's just been like a wall where the rain stops. And that, I think, Justin, something that's going to carry forward at least into the first 10 days of june yeah well there's a lot
0: of concern there as you and i were talking before we went on air that's a highly productive part of the country when we look at the amount of uh, feed and forage that's grown in that part of the country and if, if it's going to be dry there's some concerns that we're definitely going to watch on that uh, you had given an update earlier this uh, this last week uh, on, on where things are changing out in the pacific uh, where we are worlds different than where we were at a year ago when we look at the sea surface temperatures out in the pacific
3: yeah i mean it's gonna a complete reversal of fortune out in the pacific the the very cool waters along the equator are now warming up and it won't be long before we officially will say we'll be in, in some form of a, a weak el nino state we, we're not far from that right now and i think this is an interesting thing to bring up when we talk about the corn belt when we saw this before uh going back to the last going back to the uh the year of 2011, 2012, 2013 t- standpoint, when we had that multi-year La Nina that we referred to quite a bit. Mm-hmm. It was interesting. The western areas that are getting the rain now was contrasted around that similar time frame with some dryness in the Corn Belt. So I, so I guess this is not unusual that the Corn Belt with La Nina going away and the transition to El Nino we have seen in the past that they do have a dry year. I don't think it'll last. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this dryness that's in that Corn Belt right now, we've seen this before as we transition between La Nina going to El Nino. Mm -hmm. All right. Well,
0: Don, I'm glad you're back and appreciate you joining us here today with a look at our long-term weather. Thanks for having me. And again, that is meteorologist Don Day with a look at our long-term weather. You can find his website at dayweather.com and you can tune in each day for his daily video podcast as well. Our weather today brought to you by AllFlex. Cattle identification and record keeping should be easy. So now you can tie your visual tag and your EID tag and genetic data to one management number with all flex match sets find out more at allflexusa.com well stay with us coming up next we'll put a wrap on this week's show when we come back on the working ranch radio show Just another reminder, in case you missed something, you want to go back and listen to the show, you can go to WorkingRanchRadio.com. A Thank you to our sponsors here today, Allflex, Inherent Select from Zoetis, the American Galvy Association, MLS Tubs, and Tank Toad. If you'd like to get a hold of me, my email address is Justin.WorkingRanchRadio.com at gmail.com the working ranch radio show is a production of working ranch magazine branded number one by america's ranchers be sure to join us next week at the same time same place i'm your host justin mills and until next time keep your chin down and your mind in the middle so long